As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Paul, why don't you bring in this guy? Let me just say he's my economist of the year last year. This is a guy who nailed intelligent optimism. He not only would say, I believe in the system, I believe in the post-pandemic environment, but he said the American economic experiment is vital. Yep. That was a courageous call 18 months ago. And Tom, we got some pretty good people booking guests for us. It makes us look good. I mean, we had Ira Jersey, now Neil Dutta, Renaissance Macro yeah. Research Partner. He's head of the U.S. Economic Research over there. And Neil, I'm going to ask you the question I asked uh, Ira Jersey here. Uh, inflation, I mean, do we have to think about it coming back into our economy or are some of these recent CPI PPI data just kind of a eh, don't worry about it it's gonna be a little sticky on on the way down from here how concerned should we be well I'm a little bit more concerned uh, today than I was maybe a month or two ago um, yep. you know of course it's important to remember that you know we are coming off a extended period where core inflation was generally coming in below consensus forecasts um and you know now we have a month uh or so where you know the inflation data has generally been surprising to the upside um you know there could be some residual seasonality in the data i mean we saw this last uh, january as well but i think whenever you get numbers like this uh, it's just important to go back to first principles right and you know for the fed uh Compensation growth equals inflation plus productivity. Uh, that's a fairly uh, standard sort of identity in macro. And what do we know about um, uh, compensation growth? It's moderating. If you look at the last employment cost index, it ran about three and a half percent at an annual rate. We know that productivity is picking up. So I think generally, um, the inflationary impulse that's coming out of the labor markets are basically consistent with 2% inflation. And at the same time, we know that um, business and household inflation expectations are declining for, you know, in the short, medium and longer run. Uh, so I think that's encouraging for the Fed. Uh, so January was a bad month for inflation that pushed off the timing of um, <clears throat> the first rate cut, but I think it's important for people to understand what are we still talking about here? We're talking about how much the economy is growing and when the Fed's going to start cutting rates. So uh, let's just go right to that, Neil. Um, I, you know, I think the Fed, uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell did a very good job communicating this that, you know, the last time he spoke that, all right, March, March really isn't in the cars card. So the market started discounting May. Now it seems like they're, the market's pushing this out to June. And I guess a data point like today 
would give more ammunition to the, the folks that are thinking about a June cut. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. I mean, uh, you know, June probably goes up a little bit. But, you know, look, I mean, we could be back here in March or April talking about downside surprises to core inflation, uh, you know, in the March right. data. Um, and so and that and that could then push the uh, right. the probabilities of May up. So, I, I again, I think it's important. It's important for people to understand, I think, you know, what is the overarching story for the year? Again, it's the economy is growing and the Fed is probably cutting. Right. I think that's a reasonably yep. good backdrop uh, for risk appetite. Neil, an hour ago when you were in makeup to come on YouTube Bloomberg <laughs> podcast for us, you did a wonderful Renmac uh, thing out on Twitter, folks. I'll retweet it. Renmac, Renaissance Macro Research, it's some goofy name, at R-E-N-M-A-C. LLC. There it is. Renmac LLC. And Neil, you said sentiment matters. Greenspan agrees with you. And the sentiment right now is a bull market. Basically, there's a bid to the AI market. Even other things, I guess, are doing okay. How does the sentiment get you out into 2024 right now? Is it a bull economy as well as a bull market? That's my view. I mean, I think when you look at uh, sentiment, um, what you have right now is a, a simultaneous improvement in business and consumer confidence. So it kind of reeks very, uh, you know, of early cycle type dynamics in the economy. And obviously, this has been a very unusual cycle where, uh, you know, certain industries have kind of shut off, shut on, uh, turned on at different times. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, traditional kind of business cycle rules haven't really worked out that well. But right now, what it looks like is. Uh, after a lengthy period, it seems to be, you know, we're kind of approaching something closer to normal. And, um, you know, frankly, the fact right. that corporate and consumer confidence is picking up uh, at the same time, I mean, that's going to be good news, I think, um, for the economy. Right. And, you know, with respect to corporate confidence, uh, that's going to be good news, I think, for business investment spending. So where's your blended nominal GDP call 12 ah, months forward? Are you at 5% nominal or is it a more normal 3.84%? Uh, I love how you went out to the second decimal place there. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's radio. I, uh, on t okay, folks, I, uh, let me explain this. On television, we go to one decimal point. On YouTube, Bloomberg Podcast, two decimal points. And Lisa Mateo screaming, Tom, go to three. Where are we now? I'm at, so I guess like you could say I'm at 4.75 to 5.25. How's that? Look at that. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I like that. That's real. There. That's a solid nominal. One uh, more question for his doneness. All right. So, Neil, real quick here. The labor market, that's another pretty strong pillar in this economy. How do you think about the U.S. labor market going forward? Um, I think right now the main story is that uh, labor markets are sluggish relative to what we're seeing in the in growth. I mean, so either you believe that we have this sort of massive productivity boom uh, in the first quarter, um, or, uh, you know, you should expect hours to pick up a little bit. Um, you know, the truth is, is that aggregate hours work. So that's the sum product of jobs and the work week. It's basically been flat for the last three months or so. And um, during that time, the economy has been growing, uh, you know, at a reasonably solid <clears throat> pace, you know, something slightly above okay. 2%. To lengthen, uh, you know, I think particularly in the manufacturing sector, that's probably right. something that'll happen um, as inventories restock. Right. Neil Dutta, thank yep. you so much. Neil Dutta there with Renmac. And again, we'll get the that really nice sentiment uh, uh, display that he did. We'll put that out on Twitter and I'll try to get to LinkedIn. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority. 
by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Joining us now with Bessemer, of course, uh, for years and with Bridgewater, uh, now part of the Bretton Woods Committee, we are thrilled to get a brief from Rebecca Patterson. Rebecca, to begin, are we beyond the pandemic? Oh, I love that question. I mean, obviously, no, because I know what you're saying. We're we're never going to be on the pandemic. It's just becoming a a flu that's going to have variations and it could come back in forms we can't even imagine right now. So, no. But from an economic point of view, which is where I think you're coming from, Tom, uh, and it's the lack of electricity. It makes me think (laughs) more slowly. Um, Yeah, I think we are. I think we can say that. Now, does that mean everything is completely normalized again? No. Right. But are we back to really kind of business as usual from a macro point of view? Yes. I I can't say there's no one in my universe, folks, who shifted from the quiet of Bessemer Trust Mm -hmm. over to the cacophony of Bridgewater. (laughs) There's no one. And she lived to tell the tale. Let's go conservative first, Rebecca. Quiet money, three-year, five-year return money. How do they participate in this bull market? Well, you know, it was interesting. Yesterday, we got data from ICI just showing fund flows. And what struck me is that two things. One, in the week through February 14th, we saw $43 billion leaving money markets. And obviously, not all of that's going to equities, but it is getting redeployed. And I think a lot of that is, to your point, the slower money, right? Money that's being reallocated. We're going to put a little more risk in the market, whether that's equities. Maybe we're going to go out the curve on bonds. But the other data point from that report that was striking was the amount still in money markets, which is around six trillion with a T. And obviously not all of that will leave. But as we get closer to the point where the Fed's lowering interest rates and those money markets are looking less attractive, I think that's going to be an ongoing support for markets. Maybe it's not the everything rally to the same degree we saw late last year, but it is an important measure of support that can keep equities Uh, going from here uh, globally, but I think particularly in the U.S. You know, Rebecca, I was kind of of a time and place where that 60-40 portfolio kind of made a lot of sense to me, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And then, boy, you know, 2022 came along and just got crushed because you couldn't, there's no place to hide in fixed income. A little bit of better performance last year in fixed income, thanks to November, December. But this year, we're just kind of back into the soup. How do you think about fixed income into a balanced, longer-term portfolio? 
Yeah, I, I still think bonds, and I'm talking about treasuries, uh, high quality corporates okay. have a role in a longer term portfolio. I, I appreciate the point on the last few years performance. I think the last few years were the exception, not the rule. But in the short term, if we look over the next six months, a lot's going to depend on what's happening at the short end, how quickly the Fed does decide mm. to lower rates. Obviously, that's going to feed through the whole curve. Longer term, while there might be a, a higher settling rate for yields, right? If we have some of these structural inflation forces that push up inflation, put push up the Fed's neutral rate, its so-called right. R star, you know, we might be looking at slightly higher rates for yields. Um, but at the same time, if they're stable, you can still make good money off right. them. We don't need we don't need yields to come down constantly like we had over the last few decades, which was lovely to make money in bonds and to use them as a diversifier. Rebecca Patterson with us, of course, with a good brief here into March and into uh, the rest of 2024. We're on YouTube, Bloomberg Podcast. Thank you for signing up. I'm out in the chat there. I'm learning a wow. lot about Aruba. The chat's fired up about Aruba. We'll Shove get to it. that Love in a Aruba. moment. Apple CarPlay. <laughs> I don't think they have Apple CarPlay in Aruba. I'm not sure. Don't think so. Apple CarPlay with us as well. Rebecca, our complex derivative strategies like interest rate parity, and I do not want you to talk about Bridgewater portfolios. That's unfair. But are complex derivative strategies by sophisticates now a way to create alpha, or is it just a plain old vanilla buy it and own it market? You know, I think that risk parity strategies, trying to equate the risk in bonds and stocks and have a portfolio that can do well in different environments. Again, the last few years with that rise in bond yields, I think that tested those strategies. But if you look at them over the last 30, 40 years, they have performed very well. And so and and it's important to remember, you know, when we're talking about this, I think what you're getting at, Tom, really is having some leverage in bond markets. But these strategies, remember, aren't just about bonds using leverage. It's also about equities and commodities and credit and emerging market assets. So you're really looking at a pretty diversified portfolio here. And all those components are going to perform differently at different points in time if you hold it for a while, right? The correlations go to one for everything in moments of distress. But over the longer term, in different economic environments, I think having that diversification yeah. and using some derivatives to get there, I think can be a successful strategy. Getting afterthought to empty the dishwasher is a correlation <laughs> to one. It correlation hasn't happened one. yet. No. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so, Rebecca, how do you think about investment opportunities maybe outside the U.S.? It's just kind of this economic exceptionalism of the U.S. relative to, say, Europe and Asia, certainly China. I'm wondering, are there opportunities outside of the, the U.S. from an investment perspective? Um, I think there will continue to be opportunities outside the U.S. You know, as investors are squeamish about China and looking for other emerging markets to get diversification, we've seen capital going to places like Mexico, India, yep. to a degree, Indonesia. I think that's likely to continue, barring some material negative change in their economic outlook. China is trying to get a little bottom in right, right. now in their stock market, thanks to the so-called national team government entities buying I am very wary of, of going there, thinking that you've got a sustainable rally ahead of us. Japan has been the winner. I mean, Japan, if you hedged out your currency risk up 15% year to date, so yep. blowing away the United States, 
And I think those flows could continue, but I would be a little more cautious from here, not just because we've had an insane rally for the last month and a half, but when you think about what's driven this, big part of it has been strong economies overseas, China's slowing, Europe's slowing, the US probably this year, relatively speaking, slowing. And a big driver has been the yen, yen above 150 against the dollar, how much further can the yen go? Not just because of possible intervention to push back from Japan, but also a shift in their monetary policy. And most likely the Fed's not raising rates again. So I think from here, the Japan rally is likely to slow. And the question is, if you're not in it yet, do you want to put money in it? Maybe you get some diversification, but I think the return profile from here looks relatively more limited. The really important comments there, we'll get Rebecca Patterson on here to extend this conversation, particularly, Paul, a jump condition, stronger yen uh, would maybe upset uh, the apple cart. Rebecca Patterson for years with Bessemer Bridgewater with the Bretton Woods Committee. Uh, Thank you. Steve Rusciuto has wandered in the door. We're going to go wonky on you here right now, folks. And this is like the brain tease for the Friday before President's Day weekend. Ambiguity. Okay, it's owned by Douglas North of Washington University, St. Louis. He won the Nobel Prize for it. And that's sort of an institutional economics thing. But to me, ambiguity is if something moves, it can go this way or that way. And that's where we are right now with interest rates in that Something's, something's moved and that rates are higher, inflation's higher or that, and there's this worry, we're all gonna die if the, Fred, the Fed doesn't cut interest rates in March. But the ambiguity is if rates move higher, that's a sign of a strong economy. And they can't cut rates because well, it's a strong economy. You're right in indicating the fact that the economy is doing better than anybody anticipates. And I think that's that's a critical component in here. And the reason why it's doing is the economy is much less sensitive to short-term interest rates than it's ever been before because nobody really borrows at the front end of the curve anymore, even banks. Banks are not involved in making long-term loans anymore. Everything is then securitized. They do a lot of 30-day revolvers. Uh, and everything gets put into the securitized product market and redistributed and atomized and split around the investor community. So the reality is the very front end of the curve doesn't have the bang it used to for the economy. Yeah. The, the, I, Paul, I got to interrupt. I know you want to dive in here seriously, <laughs> but I got to go there. You said securitized. Yep. My theory is the financialization of a system has made most of the gains of the stimulus and the finance boom coming out of COVID go to the haves while the have-nots are flat on their back. Is that close? Well, I mean, there, there is a certain degree of that. I mean, the, the big thing that's hurt, hurt, hurt the lower income households, which you're getting at, is the upward movement in inflation. That really eroded away their purchasing power. The wealth effect is always going to gravitate up the income chain. But the real, real damage that was done to lower income households was basically the rise in inflation, which even though we're talking about inflation rates coming down from 9% to 3% type environment, oh, gee, that's great. The reality is prices haven't gone down. That's right. So these people still have the sticker shock when they go to the grocery store. And that's the end result problem. Their wages haven't kept up with it. Real discretionary income in this country has actually dropped. So that's exactly right. And that's if I'm a politician, if I'm the Biden administration, that's the tough sell I have. You know, I have a tough argument to make out there because prices still are higher for a lot of folks for a lot of items. That being said, if I'm the Federal Reserve, I'm kicking back here. I don't need to rush 
for a rate cut here, do I? No, they, they, they never really needed to rush. I mean, we had a tight labor market, number one, yep. which is what they want to see because they want to try to maximize social welfare, take the politics out of it. They want to maximize social welfare, give them the credit that they probably deserve. Uh, that's number one. Number two, the inflation story is still not back to target, um, and it doesn't show any sign of quickly getting back to target. So why would you do anything to upset right. the Apple card? Yep. Dovetail your work with Dominic Constum. I mean, Constum, you know, is taking off the next five days. He's like an Aruba or whatever. Rashido's working here. But dovetail the two of you where Constum said, look, they got super restrictive faster than they thought. Are we still super restrictive? Uh, no, we're not super restrictive. And, and the reason for that really comes down to the fact that short-term rates are not being transmitted into the financial sector the way they used to be. That's really the critical piece of the equation. Take take a look at the average household. In de, average household, they've financed most of their debt into very very long duration liabilities. You look at their debt servicing costs; they're still at exceptionally low levels, lowest levels we've seen since the Fed began publishing the data in '79. I know where I was in '79. I'm looking around the room. I don't think Lisa remembers <laughs> anything about financial markets. In I was listening to Bob Marley. Right. Yeah. So so the the reality is, you know, '79 is a long time ago. And then when you look at the level of household short term debt okay it's at exceptionally low levels their duration structure is very very long so the net result is not having the effect that you would have on the household sector the corporate sector is even worse their debt service burdens back in the 1972-1973 area I know where I was there again too Tom do you remember where you were I was listening <laughs> to Bob Marley <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the reality of the situation is these are incredible performances and when you look at you talk to a CFO of any company in this country and you talk to him about you know their debt servicing costs and the impact that the higher rate Rates are having now on their ability to raise money, the answer is very, very little impact because most of their debt is long duration. It's at very, very low yield levels. And on average, corporate America is actually Paul, paying down yeah. debt. You've talked about this eight times. What is tech doing? It's <laughs> well, like a free lunch. Exactly. Well, even the big tech companies coming into the bond market and borrowing. So, Steve, one of the stories we were talking about earlier today was when do we start worrying about the national debt? and the deficits. We just had Good a story question. where, where, the, where the, the interest on our debt is now going to be greater than defense spending this year. I mean, is this... Now, I've heard this my entire lifetime, and we just keep kicking the can down the road. I'm looking for something to derail this economy. Is that something? You know, I, you got to remember, the desire of people to buy, or the willingness of people to buy treasury debt comes down to a question of where do you want to have your money invested, yep. okay? Yep. And when you look around the world, do you want to be in the UK? Do you want to be in Europe? Do you want to be in China? Um, maybe you're a little bit more comfortable with Japan, given the currency story than you've ever yep. been since 1990. But to be honest, beyond that, we're not really knowing what, what's actually going to happen there. So where else are you going to put the money? Yep. Yep. So the reality is this is what's happening with a lot of America. And then when you think about it, Japan runs 450% debt to GDP. China's running at over 300% debt to GDP. We and the rest of the industrialized world are running around 250. Is it, I got 30 seconds. Is it just as simple as Joe Stiglitz says, all we need to do is keep the growth rate going? To pay for the fiscal idiocy, Olivia Blanchard's books on this? Well, we, we, we are at the point now where it's hard to grow out of this deficit. Right. At some point, we're going to have to That's tackle That's the crux this. of the matter. Yeah, at right? some point, we tackle it, but we don't have to tackle it all. What right. they're going to do eventually, which I hate to say this on, on radio and say it anywhere on TV, uh, is the fact that I think what they're eventually going to do is lift the cap on Social Security taxes. Mm -hmm. now, now you're not, at my age, I'm starting to. 
listen to people when they talk about this stuff. Right, you know? because because you want to make sure your retirement income is there. And, oh, and come so, on, they're yeah. politically they're going to punt that out a decade. Well, we thought we thought they would do that with Medicare. They did it quicker than we thought. Um, I don't think anybody on Capitol Hill right now has any interest right. whatsoever yeah. in dealing with the deficit. You know, N- neither see, neither Democrat or can neither candidate or Republican or Democrat has any interest in dealing with. You're the deficit. a star out on CarPlay and on Bloom, uh, Bloomberg podcasts out on YouTube. Michael, thank you. There's somebody out there called It's Me. I never trust that. I mean, yep. who says It's Me is their <laughs> handle? And they're like, Steve is great, more jamming. So by public acclaim of the chat stream on YouTube, Bloomberg Podcasts, you know, we're going back to 72 with Steve Rusciuto. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more. Today's four-day weekend front page headlines. Lisa, what do you got? Aruba relations. Uh, Starting with the Wall Street Journal. This one stuck out to me because it says the U.S. government will soon spend more on interest payments than defense. The reason? Treasury yields sprung to multi-year highs. It's putting pressure on the budget. So this is the Congressional Budget Office's latest estimate. Here's what it shows. The U.S. government expected to pay an additional $1.1 trillion in interest over the coming decade, So that means those costs are on track to surpass defense this year. One of the government expenses in the budget comes right below Social Security and Medicare. So it's really starting to worry Wall Street at this point. We have a a jewel of a resource. For those of you, it's in English as well. It's not Mm -hmm. fancy. The Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, can answer your fears about this. I have a real fear about this. We knew this would happen. It is happening. What's it mean? Maya McGinnis and others are brilliant at it. But we have a national treasure in the Congressional Budget Office, which will try to explain the level of fear we should have. I, I, I don't know. Do you think it's an election issue? I, I sure. don't think so. It's yeah, not. I, it's, I don't think so. But it should be. Yeah. Um, but it's you know this has been an issue. Just the deficit, the, the national right. debt, my entire lifetime. Um, I, I don't know when it becomes. Do you think like an the issue. pandemic sparked a little bit more of it because it set the rates? Like sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, that just gets your attention when the interest yeah. on our debt is bigger than defense. So right, right. there you go. Crazy. Okay. Next. All right. New York Times. The new school is selling its presidential residence in Manhattan for $20 million. So this goes to show you how much these schools are struggling right now. Okay. It's a 19th century brick townhouse in the Greenwich, in Greenwich Village. It's nice. The interim president currently lives there. They have school functions there. It's been a part of the school for four decades. So the new school purchased it for $990,000 back in 1984. So they made some upgrades and now it's going for $20 million. I tell you, if these, the schools that don't have an endowment 
to fund them are really, right. really and this at is risk. what they're turning yes. to, their yep. real estate. Yep. <laughs> it's, it it's a huge deal. It, it, I don't know where this goes. I've been looking at the United Kingdom schools, and they're basically broke. Right. I mean, there's no nice yep. way to put it. The formula doesn't work. And Paul, do you think we've reached a tuition peak where people are just, even the fancy people that listen to Bloomberg's I think I think we're getting there. No? It's definitely much more in the conversation. I just would say, and I, I, I'm on the board of the business school at Duke University. I think the economic model of higher education in this country is absolutely broken, yes. faulted. You have to go in there, I think, and just cut costs because you're charging $84,000 a year in tuition room and board. Come on, please. And 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 that only covers maybe 50 to 60% of the cost for a student. Something in that cost structure is wrong. Totally wrong. It's it's uh, something. It's, I don't know what it is. You got to have a Duke basketball team or you can't get the exactly. math to <laughs> work. the money. The what else do you have? All right. Financial Times saying there's gloomy times for the financial sector. We've heard about it. You know, the bonuses. They did an annual bonus survey. They found a 58 percent of more than 2,600 respondents. They expect their 2024 payout to be lower or about the same. But the real question here is, is what they're doing with that bonus. So a lot more are saying they're using the bulk of it to actually pay down more mortgages, other debts, because they're oh, okay. anticipating, Good. you know, lower bonuses. They also say that they're not getting paid as much. So they have to use that bonus in order to do that. Some are investing, you know, increasing their pension con contributions. But that's a big thing. They say the expenses are rising. Childcare is getting more expensive. Yep. There some no. paycheck to paycheck. There's I mean, a lot of, that yeah, much. A lot I mean, that's what Matt Miller would say. Yeah. So he has a couple of young ones right now. And coming back from Germany, where that childcare was pay for and high quality childcare uh he comes back here and you know it's just it's a huge issue for young families young young parents more and more of, of an issue oh sure you're wondering if it's enough you yeah. know some yeah. some people just the, the moms or dads stay home because it's cheaper yeah. and i to think stay the pandemic taught us all this right i think yeah. people yep. that were conveniently ignorant why are you looking at me um we all learned in the pandemic that this is like the number one issue and I assume it will go I don't know why companies don't have, and I'm, I know there's a reason, mm -hmm. I just don't know the reason, why companies don't, as part of their benefits package, Some don't do. have um, Some child care. Yeah, very small Some percentage. Do. You know, we'll have to see on that. That's Lisa Mateo, thank you uh, so much. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast, bringing you the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.